0: This is the Road Trekking Podcast with your host, Jimmy James. It's a show about my trip from Ontario to British Columbia and back in a vintage 92 camper van. And I invite you to come along for the ride. Welcome to Episode 8, Fort Capel to Pitcher Creek and a lot in between. Uh, This is a really interesting episode because I traveled from uh, Fort Capel where I left Brennan and the little cat that fell in love with me, Tuxi, and I headed west uh, into the southwest corner of Alberta eventually, after making a bunch of stops. So uh, it's a good episode and I hope you enjoy it. We'll start off with the trip log. The total kilometers traveled are 4,508 kilometers. Repair costs still sitting at approximately 800 bucks. Uh, my current location is in Pincher Creek, Alberta, which is about 200 kilometers south of Calgary. And GPS coordinates? Um, I don't know. All right, so uh, if you recall from the last episode, I had left or was fixing to leave uh, Fort Capel, where I was staying with my friend Brennan. Uh, Fort Capel is about uh, 45 minutes northeast of Regina. And I was also leaving this little cat, Tuxie that had just uh, fallen in love with me, come out of the bush. I think previously I called her a feral cat. Um, Now I think it would probably be fair to say that she was a stray because uh, she was so friendly and so kind. But uh, she obviously didn't have an owner, didn't have a collar, and nobody came looking for the time that I was there. So what I had done is tell Brennan... If the cat waits around, because it's not fair to take the cat in the van, I mean, this cat's used to living outside and uh, I, don't, I don't even think she's litter trained um, to have the cat living in the van while I travel across the country. So I told Brennan and I told Tuxie, I said, if you wait for me, uh, when I come back through, I'll pick you up and I'll bring you back to my place. So uh, we'll see how that works out. Hopefully she decides to stick around. Uh, I started off by just leaving Fort Capel in the morning, saying my goodbyes, and uh, heading out towards Moose Jaw. Now, uh, Moose Jaw is right on the Trans-Canada, so I had to head south until I hit the Trans-Canada. And at that point, it's called Highway 1. So I headed along Highway 1 into Moose Jaw, and Moose Jaw is a really interesting place. Um, it's, a, <clears throat> it's actually kind of a large town for the prairies, uh, but maybe a smaller to mid-sized town by uh, any other standard with a population of somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 33,000 people. So I know that's pretty exact. I, I pulled it off the internet. I also asked around to see if anybody knew why Moose Jaw was called Moose Jaw, and surprisingly nobody knew. Um, Seems like a really unusual name for a city to have nobody know why it's called that. So I did some digging into that. And uh, there are some pretty credible uh, explanations as to why that might be. The Cree and the Assiniboine people uh, used to use it as a winter settlement. And as early as the uh, mid-1800s, around 1857, it started to be shown on maps as Moose Jaw Creek. Now, like many of the cities across the prairies, the major cities are located around the confluence of rivers, so where rivers join into each other, and Moose Jaw Creek is one of those particular rivers. Um, the name might have come after the Cree word, uh, Moose meaning a warm breeze. So because it's sort of in a bit of a valley, the The temperature seems to be a little bit warmer, and there's a little bit of a breeze down there. It's quite nice, actually. Um, there is some contention on the name, though. And uh, some other people said that it's because a part of the river that flows through the town looks like a moose's jaw. Which, I, I don't know, I've never just seen a moose's jaw in isolation. But I did see the river when I was there, and uh, it didn't look like any animal parted. It looked like a river. Anyway, um, what I did was I headed into town and I was able to book a last minute uh, tour for the underground tunnels. So Moose Jaw is renowned for this system of underground tunnels that was built, oh, I don't know, 100 years ago, something like that. And the company that runs these tours actually give like a specific theme where they'll have actors come out and play parts. And they're acting out something that is historically and factually correct, uh, but they're reenacting it and and you're in the actual tunnels with period correct stuff. So it is really worthwhile and it's pretty cool. I just showed up at the desk and they said, I'm sorry, you know, sir, the tour is full for the day. You can't, uh, you won't be able to join until tomorrow. And I said, listen, it's just me. I'm traveling on my own. I'm just in town for the afternoon. Is there any way you can squeeze me in? They were uh, more than obliging of that. And they let me on a tour. This tour was uh, its like the Al Capone tour or something, and they actually take you through the underground tunnels and show you where the bootleggers and the smugglers uh, would have taken the alcohol during Prohibition. And uh, it surprised me because at one time, apparently, Moose Jaw was known as Chicago of the North which leads to the next sort of thought that i have about this place is that what happened like why didn't it continue to grow if this was chicago of the north shouldn't have we seen future development more things happen but unfortunately i think this is one of the qualities that affects lots of the towns um, especially in the prairies is that uh, perhaps they don't get the money from the government or there isn't enough work there so the town just sort of remains the same for a long long time Anyway, on this tour, I learned quite a bit about Al Capone's ventures into Mootsjaw. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I, I just, again, I, I can't get over the fact that, like, some of these towns just seem to be stuck in time. Um, I ate at a little restaurant there. It was great. I liked the town. But I did find that Moose Jaw felt very old. There was a lot of old buildings, no new development going on. And I I don't really know what would draw anybody to Moose Jaw, to be honest. Um, It is a cute little town, but it's certainly not anything that I would say like, wow, they got, you know, they put in a new this or a new that. And it's difficult when you're just there for a day to, to get a vibe for what the town's mentality was like. But it very much felt like a place that had um, a decent downtown area uh, with some shopping and some uh, places to eat. But at the same time that everything was really old and, you know, no new money had come into the area for quite some time. After the tour and my uh, supper at the restaurant, I headed to a a farmer's field who would allow people to camp there for the night. And there were a few trailers in the lot. And this is an interesting observation. Um, I find people that have, like, truck campers, uh, Class B camper vans small tow behind trailers. They're generally really social and they always come out and talk to you and they want to know about your rig and you guys end up shooting the crap and having a drink and having, just having a nice time. Um, And then people who have like the larger, more expensive kind of motorhomes tend to keep to themselves, uh, expect privacy. They like in silence and they just like to sit there. And there's some different theories I have on that. Um, One of them is that when you're in a larger rig, Uh, You can cover a lot of miles, but you can't really get off the beaten path. So, I mean, this is like sleeping in a farmer's field. There there were a number of RVs in this field, and some of them were smaller, and some of them were large Class A's or Class C, which is like the front of a truck, but then the body of a trailer. And they can range anywhere from like, I don't know, say like 20 to like 30-something feet long. So it's basically a trailer, but with a car or a truck front on it that's pulling it along the highway anyway um i met a couple who were traveling across canada living in a truck camper and we just made instant friends um they were absolutely living their best lives and uh, we hung around and chatted sort of a bit about life on the road and we watched this lightning storm in the distance and you know this is a really weird thing i'm going to talk about it a little bit later i think but um, for now, it's just, I want to say that prairie lightning is is something totally foreign to me. Um, the ability to see a storm, I don't know, maybe 100 kilometers away, more maybe, because you can't hear the thunder, but you can just watch bolts of lightning, you know, jetting down to the ground on the horizon and you're just literally watching this you know sitting out in a lawn chair the weather is completely fine calm temperate where you're sitting and there's this storm just sort of raging in the distance and in the evening hours you can just sit there and watch this for hours and uh just kind of enjoy the light show i i i went to bed for the night and It rained that night. It rained quite heavy, but we didn't get the lightning or anything like that too bad. So I woke up feeling refreshed and I was ready to get onto the next leg of this adventure. Now, I decided I was going to head to Grasslands National Park, which is sort of a unique park in the sense that they took a swath of land, actually two swaths. There's an eastern block and a western block, but they took a large piece of land. And I think the land was set aside back in the 80s um to preserve one of the remaining undisturbed prairie grassland environments Um, but it covers 907 and i looked this up obviously square kilometers which is huge Uh, it's it's absolutely vast Um, i decided to head down to the park it's uh, not a really well traveled park despite its size and in either block the campgrounds are relatively small so they house maybe like 20 or 30 trailers, and there's a couple um, of those like autentics sort of uh, permanent yurt or uh, hard-sided tent-style setups that people could rent. I stayed in the western part of the park, which uh, was explained to me is more a preservation of native grasslands, undisturbed, how they were for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And the eastern block of the park is more representative of a prairie badlands type of scenario. I decided on the western block just because I wanted to see, hey, you know, what do these prairies actually look like without farming and agriculture and stuff like that? Um, Interestingly enough, the registration office for the park is not actually located in the park so in other words uh, in order to register for your campsite or get your slips or whatever they want you have to go into a little nearby city called val marie which is about 30 kilometers from where the physical campsite location is and um, 20 or so kilometers worth of dirt roads gravel roads actually there's a lot of mud too uh, mud roads uh, to get to it which i didn't realize Anyway, I stopped into the visitor center, and they were very polite, kind, and helpful. And uh, they directed me to where I would find my campsite. Driving into the park is really neat because to the south, you can see big mountain ranges. And those mountain ranges are located in Montana. In fact, the park sort of abuts the state of Montana. And as you drive into the park, you sort of go through what would appear to be like ranch land uh, and farmland. Into a totally different environment. It looks like, from my estimation, basically a a farmer's field that was let to go fallow, like just let to grow weeds and stuff. But if you left it for like 20 or 30 years. So you start driving down this road, you get on this dirt road, and you're driving down, and it's like a driving tour. It actually takes you to all these little stops where you can get out and look at particular things, vistas, etc. I almost felt like I was on the Jurassic Park tour because you're driving down this rough road and there's some like penned off and non penned off areas and little placards. And, you know, you'd pull up to the placard and it would say, like, look at the prairie dog. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the bison. And, you know, sometimes you'd see them and sometimes you wouldn't. Uh, funnily enough the spot where they ask you to look at the prairie dogs there are millions of these prairie dogs like literally if you did not stay on the walking path you'd probably fall down a hole and break your leg Uh, other spots had you walk through the wilderness and i took every little walk and tour as i was making my way to the campsite it was a really interesting experience because you realize you really get a feel for how the prairies aren't completely flat and This area just, you know, there were huge valleys that were full of green vegetation, uh, little rivers and creeks flowing through them. And you're like kind of looking down on this from this um, flat, flat land, looking into these huge occlusions in the earth's surface and just sort of wondering, well, like, did the glaciers do this or how exactly did this happen? Uh, Regardless, there are some really amazing views when you head down that road. I saw some uh, antelope. I don't know if they're pronghorned antelope or what they are, but there were antelope crossing the street, which was really cool. And the other thing that's different from, say, a farm field that was left to go fallow is there are cactuses just, you know, on the side of the path off the side of the road stuff like that so i think it's like a semi-arid like a dry dry environment uh maybe having to do with the direction of the winds coming from montana or coming from the west and uh it 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 makes almost like a deserty feel mixed with this uh sort of cropland grassland sort of feel which is really neat um when I made it down to the campsite, uh, I was surprised because I thought there was going to be, you know, maybe more facilities or I I really didn't know what to expect. But what it was is probably, I don't know, a couple acres just caged off by a split rail fence and just campsites just parked on mowed grass. And there were lots of prairie dogs there too, believe me. They were inspecting my van and looking up underneath, I don't know, I think a couple of them were you know, fix it and pull the starter apart and take a look at it for me. But anyway, you just stay in this, this little paddocked in area and up above you, there's like sort of a mesa and you can climb up that and get a really good view out across all the grasslands and just get an excellent look at uh, how beautiful it is and how big the sky is. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was a really interesting place. So we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, prairie lightning. Well, that night I went to bed and there was a thunderstorm and it was so loud. It woke me, it woke me out of my sleep and I could see uh, light just illuminating the inside of the van. Now the van has, they're not blackout curtains, but curtains that surround all the windows when you're sleeping. And it was just totally lighting up the inside of the van. And it was so loud. Uh, and so close by that i figured you know there's no way i'm going to be able to sleep through this so i might as well just enjoy it Uh, i climbed up into the front seat the driver's seat of the van and i opened up the curtains around the windshield and i was just staring out you know into the abyss into the blackness of the night and uh, you know it's raining hard nothing's happening nothing's happening and then boom this bolt of lightning just comes down and you know for me to be completely honest i don't know how close it was to the front of the van or not i know that it was so bright that my eyes literally saw spots for a good 10 to 15 seconds afterwards the the noise shocked rocked and rolled the whole van i was like oh my goodness what is going on here so i'm like okay there's no way that i'm gonna be able to you know i'm thinking oh i'm gonna watch a lightning storm or whatever like i did the other night yeah no i was in a lightning storm and uh, i was totally blinded so okay forget that Closed the blinds on the van and just went back and enjoyed listening to the thunder and the rain and seeing the lightning light up the windows and stuff like that it was really cool um, thunderstorms on the prairie are something totally foreign to me. Uh, we don't—I mean, we get thunderstorms for sure, but nothing like this. Um, just the just the sheer vastness of the landscape, I think, lets these storms pick up speed or something as they come through, and the lightning is just out of control. It, it's so bright and it's so loud that it, it'll it i literally felt like the van was gonna fall over or something or maybe all the parts would fly off it i don't know but it, it was bad it actually scared me a little bit anyway um it didn't take too long for that storm to pass so then i was able to snuggle in for the night the next morning i set out for cypress hills interprovincial park a little bit different structure than a national park but apparently Cypress Hills was made a park in Saskatchewan first and later it was made a park in Alberta and the two parks came together at some point and said uh, you know let's make this an interprovincial park and share resources etc cetera, etc cetera. so i plug in my gps Cypress Hills Provincial Park Um, I see I'm just basically going across back roads in the south end of Saskatchewan, uh, eventually almost getting into Alberta. Okay, this is a little bit of a thing. Don't always follow your GPS. Google Maps literally took me on, I don't know, I got to say 300 kilometers of gravel roads. Like, I'm driving down gravel roads passing what's you know going over what's called the texas gate which is basically like pipes that are laid in the ground that cattle won't like to walk over but it's cheaper for a farmer to just put that and keep the cows you know in his area but let them have free range on the road than to try to fence off the sides so there's like cows in the middle of the road. There's like like literally at one point I pulled up beside a cow and was like, get off the road. What are you doing? You know, and the cow just sort of looked at me. So I just sort of had to go onto the shoulder and drive around it and kept going. Okay. Where I made a mistake, I had not filled up on fuel and the drive from uh, Fort Capel down to the Grasslands Park was much shorter than I expected. It was, took me like an hour and a half. So I got down there, you know, I don't know, maybe 200 kilometer drive or you know, maybe 150. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine. I should be good to make it to this next spot. Well, yeah, no, I wasn't. And as I drove along these gravel roads, I I had anticipated finding a gas station and actually even looked on Google Maps and it said, you know, gas station in this along your current route, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, no problem. But when I get to these gas stations and most of them are of the co-op brand, co-op is like a big thing in the prairies and even in BC, whereby um, members of the community can buy a membership and then they get a little bit of payback at the end of the year. Um, depending on the profit of the particular gas station or grocery store. They do grocery stores too. But every gas station I got to was what's called a card lock. So what that is, is an unattended gas station, essentially, where you would have like a commercial card that you could swipe in the machine. The machine would be like, yep, you're a trucker and let you fill your tank on that card it doesn't work with a regular visa or debit card or anything like that, at least not that I found. So I'd stop at these gas stations and there were two or three of them. And literally I could not get fuel. Um, Interestingly, I drove through a small town called Climax and I was very excited. uh, (laughs) I was very excited for that, but it was, um, well, it was anti-Climax. Climactic. There wasn't much, but there was a grain elevator there that said Town of Climax. So, you know, I took a picture of that, of course, and uh, continued on trying to find fuel. I literally could not find any fuel. And I got to a point where my gauge, you know, was reading empty. So I stopped, got out, and in the back of my van, on the back on the trailer hitch, I've got a cargo carrier with a storage box bolted to it and i know i've talked about it before but in there i keep a small generator and a five gallon jerry can of gas as well as my sewer hoses and stuff like that so i dump the full five gallons of the jerry can into the van okay that should give me at least 100 150 kilometers range Um, i should be able to make it to a gas station but I just keep driving down these roads. And I'm following Google at this point. Like I have no idea where I am. I'm looking at the map. I I can turn it upside down, left and right. It does not matter. There there are no roads on this map that I am on. I continue on driving, taking the recommendation of uh, the world's maybe smartest search engine. And uh, by the time I literally probably 50 kilometers uh, before I hit the town of Elkwater uh, where I could get gas, literally like probably 50 kilometers before that, my needle was on empty and it wasn't even bouncing. Like if I went up and down hills, it did not matter. It was just on empty. I literally coasted into the town on fumes. Now, Elkwater. Elkwater is the town that is located within The Cypress Hills Interprovincial Park and it's very much like a little touristy trap kind of little town. Uh, I think I way overpaid for gas there but it didn't matter. I was just thankful that I was able to make it without having to call a tow truck which probably wouldn't have come out to somewhere that I didn't know where I was. Anyway so I get in this little town and I figure out where my campsite is for the night and the campsite is just outside of town. Uh, Again this is a rather large park And it just so happens that the town is included within it. So um, I head out to my campsite, find my spot and make camp. Well, the next morning I wake up and I'm shocked. I mean, I didn't roll into town at night, but I was a bit stressed out worrying about fuel and stuff like that. I didn't take a like a big look at the scenery. But when I woke up the next morning, I was like, wow. okay, so this is completely different than the prairie that was surrounding it this actually reminded me of ontario there's like hardwood trees there's, there's lots of pine trees there's hills there's little lakes and stuff inside this park it was really neat the only thing i didn't like is that the little town and the campgrounds were a lot busier than when i'd been at grasslands I liked grasslands because there was nobody around. There were like very few campsites. Uh, You were really kind of getting that nature experience. This was a bit different. This particular campground um, was sort of on a hill. There was a little public beach on the lake. And it's all kind of within this small town of Elkwater. But I set out to try to find something that was a little bit off the beaten path. And I found a map which had a bit of a driving tour on it and it ended, or at least took me to a spot on something that's called Reeser Lake. Now Reeser Lake apparently is stocked with lake trout, which kind of, uh, you know, got the, the angler in me thinking about it. So I drove down to Reeser Lake. Reeser Lake is cool. There's picnic tables set up. And I think every second picnic table actually has a sign on it that says, uh, alcohol may be consumed at this picnic table. I had never seen that before. Like this was interesting because normally uh, parks and stuff like that will say like no alcohol permitted in the whatever areas or off your campsite. This, I mean, I don't want to say it was encouraging you, okay, because it's not encouraging you. But what it's saying is if you want to consume alcohol, you can sit at this picnic table. Anyway, that's just an interesting observation. So I I did some casting from shore thinking maybe I could hook into a lake trout. I didn't have much success. But what was neat about this place is that there was a flock of pelicans living on this lake. I had no idea that there were pelicans in Canada. And it kind of made me think about the the pelican races that they were doing up in Fort Capel uh, instead of a rubber duck race in the river. And there was, I don't know, there's going to be like 30 or 40, pelicans that basically just lived on this lake. And I'm going to be honest, I've never seen a pelican in real life. And it was really cool because I got to see them actually flying like over the lake and circling around and then just meeting up in the water. They kind of acted like swans or Canadian geese, but I know they're like semi carnivorous which is interesting. Um, I've seen National Geographic videos where pelicans will eat like weird things, like a baby seal or something like that. So that was, that was really cool. After I had some lunch at the lake, I decided to head towards Pincher Creek, which was my next destination. Actually, I didn't stay in Pincher Creek. Um, I stayed in a little rural area uh, just southeast of it that was called Spring Ridge. So uh, I didn't trust Google Maps anymore after that last fiasco and almost running out of gas. Uh, I, I took a beat on a major highway, and the best route looked like Highway Number Three. Um, that passed through Medicine Hat and Lethbridge before arriving um, via some other roads at my destination. Once I crossed into Alberta, I noticed that fuel prices uh, were noticeably less expensive, which was great because at this time, fuel was running like it was over 2 dollars a liter for sure and i think once i got to alberta it was like a dollar 90 something so that makes a big difference right when you especially when you're driving a vehicle that's not very easy on gas <laughs> but i noticed as well as i drove that the landscape sort of subtly changed and uh almost became a mixture of the prairie grassland that i had seen previously with more and more ranch land Um, and again hundreds of cows just you know uh, sitting on the side of the roads Um, separated by vast tracts of yellow canola flowers and wheat so it's kind of a mix of like a ranch land and farmland cropland but it makes for this really beautiful scenery especially the canola flowers this is where i started to notice a lot of canola crops and for those of you who haven't seen a crop of canola from a distance it is i mean up close it's probably very beautiful as well but from a distance it is gorgeous it is like a field bathed in yellow gold colors and especially as the sun is starting to set on it oh my gosh it just looks so amazing and really nice when there's like canola fields and then just like green like wheat or something feels like yellow and green yellow and green it looks so neat when you're driving across that particular landscape i I absolutely love it um medicine hat was interesting. I did spend a little bit of time when I went through there, and it was larger and more beautiful than I expected. And apparently, according to one of the signs there, it's like the sunniest place in Canada, which I felt hard to believe, but whatever. I mean, maybe it's their claim to fame. Maybe it is the sunniest place in Canada. Who knows? The town itself is about twice the size of Moose Jaw and much more modern despite it being incorporated at an earlier date. In fact, I think Medicine Hat was incorporated into an official city or village or whatever it was at that time in about 1883. And Moose Jaw, I don't think it was until around 1905 that it received its official city status, although it had been marked on maps. Um, Medicine Hat's also situated in a valley and again, at the confluence of a couple of rivers. It's, It's very nice there. The, the main difference that I noticed between Medicine Hat and Moose Jaw is Medicine Hat was under development and it was growing. There were newer buildings. And I'm not really sure if this is because of the Calgary oil money that's flowing in or whether there's more industry in Medicine Hat. After Medicine Hat, you hit Lethbridge. Now, Lethbridge is a big city. Um, I think they've, they've got about 100,000 population. They must. And uh, <laughs> it's interesting because when you again uh, there's are big valleys this is at a confluence of rivers or rivers flowing through this town and a lot of the town is actually on the high ground so it's not in the valley and you're just looking down these hills and I think they're called like coolies or like the striations in the land where you can see that either the glacier or water runoff or something had made these huge scratch marks down the valley into the river and that was really neat Um, lethbridge was really modern as well they're building stuff stuff's going on and it looked like a town that was a very kind of a working town Um, people were coming there and going as they would on a normal work day not a lot of tourists but it looked like lethbridge was taking themselves pretty seriously and they had uh, good roads and uh, lots of spots to stop off to grab something to eat or something to drink if you wanted to After Lethbridge, I continued along Highway 3, eventually turning onto the 509, which heads south towards my eventual destination. What I really liked about this drive was that you could see the uh, prairie lands. It was sort of like mixed prairie and ranch lands turning into more and more and more uh, ranch-style lands. And there were tons and tons of windmills. As soon as you turn onto this 509... The Like for a province that's known for its oil, they're awfully uh, energy efficient, environmentally friendly type people because there are hundreds and hundreds of windmills spinning uh, in this area of the province. You can also see in the distance the mountain range in Montana starting to loom into view again and it's weird like at first I mistook it for clouds on the horizon I was like oh are we in for another storm but as I continued south they were just growing taller and taller and taller and you can actually see some of the mountains have white caps on them which is really neat even though they're still quite a quite a ways in the distance Something else that struck me when I was driving on some of these roads are the billboards uh, that are up. And there's just these random billboards in the middle of nowhere. And most of them seem to express some kind of anti-abortion sentiment. Uh, That's new to me. I, I hadn't seen that in Ontario. I hadn't seen that in Saskatchewan. But all of a sudden, you're just driving along and like, bang, there's a billboard on the side of the road with like a fetus with a needle going in it being like if this is in life, what's, why does this look bad or something? And it's like, oh my gosh, like, I, I can't believe that. Like, uh, I'm not sure if it's a difference in cultural values, province to province. I'm going to, I got to explore that a little bit deeper, but like why all of a sudden when you get into farmland, Alberta, does the sentiment just completely change around uh, pro-choice or woman's you know right to choose to do what they want with their body that struck me and the fact that somebody would put that on a billboard like is somebody going to be driving by and be, like, oh yeah you're right yeah absolutely i never thought of it that way yeah okay life begins at conception like uh, why would anybody even rent billboards to do this but i saw numerous numerous examples of this as i was driving and and it struck me so i felt like it was worth mentioning I ended up getting to my host's place in Spring Ridge at around 9 p.m., and I was feeling pretty tired, but because I was at the furthest western edge of that particular time zone it still wasn't getting dark until like 10 or 10:30 at night so uh, i was able to meet them sit outside enjoy the sunset and look at the mountains in the background i mean it's absolutely beautiful and you can be sitting in this sort of ranchland prairie farmland area and then on the horizon there're these huge mountains in montana absolutely dominating the southern sky it's interesting to note that in addition to the uh, weird billboards that Alberta has, they also have a really interesting political view on Canada. And, you know, whether it be correct or not, um, their view basically is that Ontario and Quebec decide uh, on the federal government, which in a way is true because Ontario and Quebec have the most seats, the, the two provinces with the most amount of seats. Um But one of the locals, uh, I had stopped at a general store, I think, to grab some licorice or something. And uh, one of the locals even told me that Alberta was planning to secede the way that Quebec had tried to lots of times in the past. I tried to look at this information, and I I couldn't really find a whole lot on it that seemed legitimate. I don't know whether this is wishful thinking on his part, um, but certainly I can understand if you're a province that's as... Uh, rich in oil deposits, etc., cetera, as Alberta. I mean, in Alberta, they don't even charge provincial sales tax. They don't have to. Um, so when you get to Alberta, everything just by virtue of less tax is less expensive. Uh, and the prices aren't like jacked up to compensate. Although I didn't find the alcohol uh, to be any less expensive, which is sort of interesting because I know a lot of that is tax. Anyway, yeah, he had said that they were planning on seceding. I think that perhaps it was um, some optimistic thinking on his point or maybe some uh, some wrong think where he thought that a province would be able to do good on its own without participating in the rest of Canada. But nonetheless, it is interesting to note that the political sentiment seems to change um, maybe a little bit gradually when you're in Saskatchewan, but then as soon as you get to Alberta, bam, it's like nope, we're super right-wing, uh, we, we want to leave, we've got our own oil, like, we're good. So, anyway, I stopped at the host for the night and snuggled in, and that's it for uh, that part of this particular trip. Now, there are some lessons learned. Um, number one, uh, make sure that you have enough gas and don't trust Google Maps. Um, I would have, if I had not had a jerry can... And also had somebody looking out for me, I would have run out of fuel. I was literally bone empty when uh, I got to that last town. A lot of the gas stations that are shown on Google Maps or Waze or these digital things they're not necessarily gas stations that are open to the public so it'll say co-op gas or petro canada gas but then you'll get there and quickly discover it's one of these card lock stations and you can't get gas from there so try to plan your trip accordingly and maybe do a little bit more research than i did so that you don't get caught into the same position um, uh, the second, you know, maybe not a lessons learned, but observation is that once you get out of Saskatchewan and into Alberta, the, the towns and the cities seem to be, uh, thriving more and much better maintained. Medicine Hat had new stuff going on. The buildings looked new, uh, Lethbridge, same thing, uh, looked like getting to be kind of an urban city, uh, people going around, lots of freeways, overpasses, stuff like that. Uh, Moose Jaw, on the Saskatchewan side looked like it was sort of frozen in a moment of time, you know, maybe 50 years ago, this was like a really nice little town and then just sort of history stopped. And it's not that it's not nice anymore. It is, it is quite nice, but the development stopped. And I think it probably has to do with oil money. I know that Saskatchewan has significant potash deposits and they also have uh, oil but certainly not to the degree that Alberta has. And once you get into Alberta, you know, the monetary situation, I think, surrounding the cities changes. Uh, You see much less poverty and you see much more development. And third and finally is the observation that political sentiment almost seemed to change with the border. Um, as soon as you got into Alberta, I started seeing all those funky anti-abortion signs. Um, people are much more libertarian. They care about their land. They 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 want us to secede, or some of them, some people from Alberta want us to secede from Canada because they think that Alberta gets you know the raw end of the deal. That that Canada doesn't consider Alberta that important, despite the fact um, that Alberta makes a significant contribution to Canada's GDP through. Uh, primarily oil my final interesting observation is surrounding some of the wildlife that i saw while i was on this leg of the journey there are animals in canada that i would never have thought would be here among them an antelope i saw freaking antelope like what how do we have antelope what are they doing there uh, pelicans I thought those were tropical birds. There's, there's pelicans in the lakes. You, you travel across the country and all of a sudden, you know, some wildlife slowly changes. You see trees shift from deciduous to coniferous. Uh, You see some kind of local differences. Some of the birds look a little bit different. Uh, I noticed that I stopped seeing gray jays uh, around Northern Ontario and I didn't see any birds like that. Uh, when I was going across the prairies, but also things like bison and prairie dogs and pelican. Like I, I just, oh it blows my mind and cactuses. There are literally just cactuses with these beautiful flowers just out in the, on the roadside out by the prairies. And that's, that's really interesting. Anyway, that's it for my observations and uh, lessons learned. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd encourage you to like, subscribe, and hit the notification icon on your podcast platform of preference. And of course, you can find me on my Instagram account at roadtrekken underscore podcast. And I'd like to remind everybody to be kind to one another and keep on roadtrekken. Bye!